Good morning, Seacoast. It's great to see everybody. Did you enjoy that song, uh, Talking to Jesus? Man. Tell you what, it's so cool that that album that that song was on uh, was the album that Brandon won a Grammy Award this year, which is kind of a big deal, I think, in the world of music. And, uh, but what I love about that is is that the world sees something there, uh, not, not only the, the excellence, but the message there. And, and I don't know where you come from or where you're at in your faith journey with Christ, but I hope that you'll leave here knowing that Jesus would love to have those conversations with you. And I know for me, uh, my mom is, is the one who showed me that probably more than anybody. You guys know my dad. He's all right. My mom is the one that really taught me how to love the Lord. And uh, so all the moms, we love you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. We're grateful for you. And uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor, if I haven't met you yet. And I do want to welcome all of our campuses that are with us today. Uh, if you're watching online, we're so thankful that you're part of this family as well. And I'm, I'm super excited to be able to introduce you to a friend, uh, a guest speaker, if you will. But you can get used to it because uh, she's actually here now as a part of the Seacoast family. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about them here in just a minute. So uh, Paul and Andy Andrew uh, moved over to, to, to New York City about 12 years ago from Australia and planted a church called Liberty Church. And it's now become a global family of churches. They have seven locations around the, around the globe. Incredible leaders, incredible church. And uh, they're, they're part of the ARC church family that we're part of. They planted through ARC. And, and they were at the ARC conference in October. And uh, we spent some time together. And they shared with Lisa and I that they were beginning to transition. They'd raised up a team to take over Liberty Church, and God was entering them into a new season of ministry. Uh, Paul leads an organization called Barnabas, and it's very similar to what our founding pastor, Greg Surratt, does, pours into and mentors other leaders, disciples other leaders, and Andy travels and preaches all around the country, and they said, hey, we, we're feeling called to move, and we, we'd love to move to Charleston. Can we come and just be part of the dream team here at Seacoast? Uh, and I said, let me think about that for a minute. Yes, we would love for that to happen. And so they moved about eight weeks ago. So they're part of our church family, serve on the dream team. Their kids are involved in custom and, and our children's ministry and uh, just a phenomenal family who's become very dear friends of ours. But they're part of our church family. But I'm telling you, Andy is also just a dynamic preacher, uh, speaker. You're going to be blessed by her today. So would you guys help these New Yorkers feel the Southern hospitality? Welcome Andy Andrew as she comes and brings a word. Oh my gosh. Okay. Seriously, while we were worshiping though, I'm like listening to this and all I want to say is, do you guys, God can literally do anything. And you're like, okay, that's green. Why is she here? Just seriously, I lived in New York City. People don't want Jesus. They got saved. They got healed. They got delivered. Jesus can do anything. And how many of you are testimonies today? You're standing here. I love that song, Talking to Jesus, because what I learned and gleaned from my mom and dad who are sitting here in the front row is even when they were going through the darkest valley in their own life, I would walk upstairs early in the morning and they were talking to Jesus. And I tell you what, when I was walking through the dark nights of my soul, unfortunately, they are plural. There have been more than one. My parents <laughs> have been the ones that are on their knees standing in the gap. When I was away from Jesus, 
My mama was on her knees. When the, when the enemy whispered to her, give up on her, when I was wrecking my life, she got on her knees, she dug in, and I am standing here today because of the work that she has done on our news. So can we honor all the mamas and the fathers and the spiritual mothers? Because some of you guys have spiritual mothers as well, and I am so grateful. I love this house. And I am so honored to be here. When we knew our time was done in New York City and my husband and I were sitting in North Carolina visiting my parents and my husband looked at me and we were just praying, going, God, where do you want us? Because we, we don't just want to go and live somewhere and just be like, oh, you know, all alone. We didn't want to isolate ourselves because when you're alone, you're always right, okay? That's dangerous. Don't do that. So we were like, God, where do you want to sow us? And when my husband said, what about Seacoast? I just started to weep. And I went, that's our home. I mean, we didn't even have to come to really arc. We're like, this is it. (laughs) But we were worshiping, I remember, and I saw the generations. I saw my children in this house. I saw them grow. I'm just like, is there any other criers in the room? I cry about everything. Yes. Okay. Where are my guy criers, though, too? Yeah. My dad. I got it from my dad. (laughs) Oh man, I cry when I'm happy, I cry when I'm sad, I cry when I'm angry, I cry for all the feelings. So, um, but I just am so moved and so honored to be in this house. Thank you for welcoming us home. And thank you to every, can I just tell you though, there's been a lot of places I've been, I don't know if we understand the humble leadership, the servant leadership that is on this house. You guys, this is a ridiculous house. And right now, what the world, what the Western church needs are humble leaders. And I tell you, that is on this house. It is moving in this house. And so just, yes, thank you, Jesus. So anytime you guys are like, I will come here and tell you, stop it, because this is an amazing house to sow your lives into. Amen? Amen. Okay, I have to show you my family, though. Can I show you my humans? Because I love them, and it's Mother's Day, so I can. Um, So this is us, and I had three kids under the age of three. Right now, they are, their birthdays are all together. He is 16, almost 17, just turned 15 on Friday, and 13. Those three were born in Sydney, Australia, and we just had bam, 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 like we shot the kids out. And then I was like, stop touching me. Please don't talk to me anymore. I just need a minute. Um... So who else did that? Who else had three? Yeah, yeah. Is there, are you guys okay? Is there, we're fine. You're fine now? Are you okay? Four under the age of three? You're the winner. And the winner is, oh, okay, so we had them in Sydney, Australia. They're all dual citizens. My eldest, his name is Ezekiel Benjamin. His name is God will strengthen the son of my right hand. Number two is Jesse Freedom, and his name means gift of freedom. And then my daughter, her name is Finley Grace, and her name means fair warrior, full of grace, and with three brothers, you need a whole lot of warrior and even more grace, and so that is her name. She is sassy, and I love it, and she is strong, and makes me so happy. And then, there's my youngest born. He was not born in Australia. He is blonde and blue-eyed. The rest have brown hair and brown eyes. He is the only American-born. His name is Samuel Malachi, asked of God, a messenger. The man cracks jokes. Young man cracks jokes like no other. You see a kid with a yo-yo? That one's mine. He's out there. He's got a yo-yo at all times, at least right now. That's his obsession. But he was born in Brooklyn, and he is the only one that can run to be the president of the United States. So, okay, before I get into the word, because I tell you what, I don't have a Mother's Day word. I have a word for the church today. Is that okay? Can I just bring that? 
But before I do, I do have to honor the mothers for a second because there is this video that I watched. Have any of you mamas ever said, you know, I'm just a mom. Please never put the word just in front of that. And I'll tell you why. If we could roll the video, please. Dear sis, I came to speak to those who seem to think that moms are just moms. Well, baby, let me let you in on who we really are. We alarm clocks, we're bathroom attendants, we're hairdressers, we're personal stylists, we're cooks, we're nannies, we're housekeepers, and that's all before we get ourselves together in the morning. We're, we're physicians, but we ain't got no PhD, but we can heal wounds. We're lawyers, we ain't got no degree in that either, but we can mediate between siblings who can't seem to get along, and sometimes adults who act like kids too. We are chefs who can pull together a meal with the little scraps in the refrigerator. We're accountants who can make money stretch when you don't even know we are strong because we can hide the stress that you don't seem to think we go through we are all the things that you don't even see at night with prayer warriors praying over our house when everybody else is asleep we are the ones that's keeping the enemy at bay because we're the one laying on our face we are the strong weapons who God has ordained for this position baby we ain't just a mother and you better not even let that come out your mouth again let me tell you who we are we are superwoman yeah come on so to all the mamas in the house, we salute you, we love you. And let me say this to you, all the mothers in the faith, maybe you have not had a child come from your womb, but I tell you what, I was getting texts from my mothers in the faith this morning. We thank you, we love you, your children are countless. And I wanna say, if today is a day of celebration and brunch and all the fun things, and maybe you know you got breakfast in bed or someone just emptied the dishwasher for you and you were like, oh my gosh, you see me. Anyone? And you're like, thank you. Acts of service are my love language, and I may have given a bullet point list of all of those acts of service I would love to receive this morning, and it was done when I woke up. Woo! So, whether today is just a wonderful day, or maybe today is a day for many of you that are just sitting in this room, and it's wrought with heartache and regret and pain and prayers unanswered, I just want to say to you that the Holy Spirit is here, the lover of your soul. If you are far from your mother or your children, I believe there is resurrection life in this place today. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We dedicate these moments, these minutes to you. And I ask, Father God, that you would glorify yourself. Holy Spirit, would you move and breathe? There are so many people sitting in this room and you know exactly where they are. You know exactly what they need to hear. Would you speak to them? And God, may, may we make room for you to move in our lives today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you're taking notes, this message is simply called Make Room. Make room. <laughs> my parents, oh my gosh, when I gave my life to Jesus at 19, some of my greatest memories are how my parents would make room. You know, we didn't have much growing up. My parents were hard workers, blue collar workers. There were seasons where we had little, seasons where we had abundance. But I remember that season where I gave my life to Jesus at 19, and these memories came flooding back to me of how my parents would make room. And we had a fridge in the garage, and we had a fridge in the kitchen. And even though a lot of times we didn't have the finance to fill those fridges, somehow they were always full. The door was always open. The table was always set for people to ask questions. I remember those who were following Jesus would sit and, and be at our house. Those who didn't know Jesus came and sat and asked my parents questions. There was room and space for that. And I'm so grateful that they showed me how to make 
room. I mean, even my best friend of 20 plus years, I remember meeting her at a birthday party and she was wild. And I was like, hmm. And when I left the party, she's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to church. Do you want to come with me? She's like, sure. She came along and sat on the front row. And after the service was done, she's like, I just, I have so many questions. And I said, perfect. Come on over. She came over to our house and she was there every single day for a month, like drove us a little bit crazy. I'm like, can you sleep somewhere else? Honestly, do you have a house? And she came over, was there every day. But I remember this one night where she was in the garage. My dad was cleaning up in there. She was asking more questions. And my dad walked in the room and he's like, all right, guys, Tanya wants to give her life to Jesus. We're going to pray for her. We're like, oh, awesome. So we surrounded her, we prayed for her, we led her to the Lord. She guys, you guys, it was wild. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She had no context. What does that even mean? She's sitting there going, what's happening? I'm on fire, I'm on fire. We're laughing, I'm like, this is awesome. She got radically saved in our household all because I believe that my parents showed me how to make room. There's a woman in the Bible, the Shunammite woman, and she is radical and tenacious and powerful. And she's a woman who shows us how to make room, make room for God to move in our lives, how, how to make room for miracles and hope and faith and resurrection. And so we are going to turn to 2 Kings verses, verses, I did this last time, <laughs> chapter, verses 8 through 37. We're going to go to this bit of text today and break this down and see how the Shunammite woman teaches us how to make room for God to move in our lives. Let's start in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed in it and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. And then he can stay there whenever he comes by. So if you're taking notes, number one is this, make room for God. So we see this woman, now listen, the context of the time and the day and the age that they were living in, Jezebel and Ahab were the most horrendous king and queen. I mean, murderous. They were worshiping Baal. We had Elijah who did all of the signs and wonders, and then he actually gave his mantle to Elijah. We're two sons later into the kings of Israel, and the truth is, is they're not really serving God. It was a pagan society at the time. So therefore, when Elisha was walking by this woman's house, I mean, there was not a lot of people that were interested in having God in their lives, let alone the man of God come into their house. But this woman must have been a good cook. Do you notice that it says he came by multiple times and then finally she's like, fine, we'll build a room. Like, this is what she did. She built a room for him. She made room for the man of God in her household. This is what we see in Matthew. Matthew 10 tells us that whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person receives a righteous person's reward. This woman was about to reap what she had sown, but she had no idea. A couple of nights ago, I was sitting with my eldest out on our screened-in porch, which now I understand why you need them because the bugs are real and I have been attacked here but it's okay, because I love it. <laughs> Sitting out on the screened-in porch, and we were just chatting about different things in life. I'm realizing he's a junior in high school, you guys. <gasps> Time flies. I can't believe he's like six foot three and massive and old. Not that old. But we were, 
we were chatting about a lot of different things and his mind is so brilliant. I love how God has created him and made him so different from me. From the time this kid was 13 years old, he was investing in the stock market. I mean, he's teaching me about how to invest in the stock market. He loves talking about finance. He loves talking about legislation and what's going on in the world today. So as we're sitting out there talking about all of those things, I also had this challenge for him. I said, before you leave the house, before you graduate from high school, I would like you to read the whole of the Bible from start to finish. I want you to see the arc of the story. I want you to understand the gospel and why Jesus needed to come. I don't want you to read it in pieces. I want you to read the whole thing. And so he has been doing that. And I remember when he got to Leviticus, I was like, oof, Leviticus. And he's like, what do you mean? I love Leviticus. I was like, me too. Yes, love it. Um, <laughs> it's the way he sees order in it. And so anyway, we're sitting there chatting. And here's the deal. I want to tell you guys this. He's reading on this app called Read Scripture. It's the Read Scripture app done by the Bible Project. It is phenomenal. And it's got these videos throughout that explain what you're reading. And oftentimes I'll see him on his phone. It's like, hey, get off your phone. Stop staring at your screen. He's like, mom, I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, stay on your screen. Great job. <laughs> but as we were sitting there, I said, so where are you up? Like, what are you reading? What's speaking to you in the word of God at the moment? What, what's coming alive to you? And he said, you know, Judges is wild, mom. I was like, Judges is wild. It's kind of savage. It's like a savage book, what was going on in there. And he said, but you know, there was this one line that kept standing out to me. And, and it was this. It was Judges 21, 25. And it said, in those days, Israel had no king. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. I wanted to get on my knees and repent in that screened-in porch because I was like, that's us. That's the church right now. This is our problem. Anyone? Is everyone awake? Hello? This is the problem. Oh, we want Jesus as our Savior, but oh, don't make him Lord and King. This is what we're doing. He is not just our savior. He is to be Lord and King. And we are not making room for him in our life. We are building other things and other altars in our households. And we're wondering why things aren't turning out the way that they are. And meanwhile, we're bowing down to things we shouldn't be bowing down to. We need to make room for God to move in our lives. We need to make room. And so I just wanna ask you, what needs to be cleaned out of your metaphorical house to make room for God to move? What has more power in your life and a louder voice than the nudge of the Holy Spirit? When Zeke was three, he was obsessed with David and Goliath. And I remember reading that story over and over. I was like, can we read another Bible story? He's like, no. So we read it again and again, sleeping. And you know that feeling as a parent when you're laying there and you feel a presence very close to you? I open my eyes, I'm like, ah! <laughs> and he's standing there with his little chubby cheeks and he goes, mom, Goliath was just in my room. I'm like, what? Did you tell him to get out of your room? He said, no, mom. I told him to get out of my house. I was like, even better. That is better. Get out of the house. But I think there's some of us that we are entertaining things and addictions, and they don't even have to be bad. Just little things that niggle in and take the space of where God wants to move in your life. And we need to say, mm, this needs to get not just out of my room, but out of my house. Amen? Amen. Number two is this. She made room for hope and miracles. 
She made room for hope and miracles. So she makes room for the man of God. She makes room for God to move in her life. But she made room for hope and miracles. And you know, Ted Lasso said, it's the hope that kills you. And the truth is, I have found this to be true. When we fear disappointment in our lives, we refuse to hope. We don't hold on to hope. When we fear, we'll be disappointed. But what does the word tell us? That hope will not put us to shame. It will not disappoint us. See, I would rather die with the last breath in my lungs, hoping that the Lord would heal me than be like, meh. Honestly, what are we leaning into? What are we hoping for? And you know what? The truth is, when we think that we have all we need or all that we want, there is no room for miracles to happen in our lives because we're like, "Eh, I don't really need a miracle right now. But every single one of us in this room, we actually need a miracle in our lives. Every single one of us. 2 Kings 4, 11 through 17. One day when Elisha came, he went up to the room and laid down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him and Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone through all this trouble. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she replied, "Mm, I have a home among my own people. Now this is equivalent to the Lord whispering to you this very morning as you read the word, as someone prophesies over you, as you hold his word and lean into prayer and he's like, this is what I wanna do in your life. And you're like, meh. I don't know. We're like, can you imagine? We do it all the time. God wants to move in powerful ways. He wants to do things in our life that we never thought possible. And she kind of goes, meh. And then Elijah asks again, what can be done for her? And Gehazi said, super hardcore. Well, she has no son and her husband is old. That's just like, there's so much of this in the Bible that's so rude and straightforward and Gehazi becomes corrupt a couple chapters later. So I'm like, okay, Gehazi, whatever. But it was true. It was true. She had no child. Her husband was old. Then Elisha said, call her. And so he called her and she stood in the doorway and he said, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. What did she say to him? No, my Lord. She objected, please, man of God, do not mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Some of us in this room, the Holy Spirit has been whispering to you. You've been reading the word. You've been on your knees maybe for years, praying for breakthrough, praying for a miracle. But I will tell you this, while there is breath, there is hope. You guys, it's on your license plates. You see it everywhere you go. In New York, it's like all about us, ever upward. Look at me here. It's like, oh my gosh, while there is breath, there is hope. And some of you even right now in your spirit are going, I need her to stop talking. I know maybe that there have been prayers that have been unanswered and it is too painful to hope again, but I do believe that God wants to sow seeds of hope. And every time I hear that song that came out of this house, come alive in the name of Jesus, come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Is this not a house of miracles? And I believe that the tide is rising. This is the prophetic word over this house. And if the tide is rising, the tide needs to rise in our spirit. 
Spirit as we make room. I do not want to be a dam for the tide to rise. I want to be a shore that it can crash on, that it can come up to. But we have to make room for God. We have to make room for hope. We have to make room for miracles. And I will say this to you. If God has told you he wants to do a miracle in your life, do not do this to him. Believe him. Believe him. Number three is this. We have to make room for faith and honesty. We have to make room for faith and honesty. The two can go hand in hand. So what happens when the miracle goes sideways? So you prayed. You prayed for years. You prayed yesterday. I don't know. What happens when you pray and God does a miracle, but then it starts to change and turn or the miracle goes sideways or you're like, Lord, can we have a conversation? So I like give you a blueprint for the way I want you to do my miracle and you're doing my miracle in a different way. Can, can you bless my plan, not yours? He's like, no, I'm sovereign, so no. Um, but here's the deal. We have to understand that there are gonna be times where our faith is tested because things look different than we thought that they would. What about when what we believed for and even received, what if that changes or the dream dies or something dies and our lives or gets taken away, then what? Well, let's go to the Shunammite. Let's go to scripture, 2 Kings 4, 18 through 28. The child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers and he said to his father, my head, my head, his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. Don't you just love that? That the father's like, ooh, I know how she'll pray. I know what she'll do. Carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Can we just pause there for a second? That is a total act of faith. I don't know about you, but I would not have been like that woman where I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna take, no. She didn't lay him on his own bed saying it's over. She didn't lay him even on her bed. She laid him on the man of God's bed. She shut the door and she went out. She's like, ha, 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 no. The man who promised, the God who gave me this son, I am going to put my son in the man of God's room as an act of faith. Sometimes, some of us actually have to do an act of faith when it looks ridiculous and people are going, I don't know why you're doing that. That's over. No, do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do. She puts him in the man of God's bed. She called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Her husband said, why go him to him today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. She said, that's all right. In other translations, she said, everything is okay, or shalom, which means peace, or everything will come back together. She was prophesying life, speaking life. She wasn't freaking out. I would have been like, Paul, 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 Paul. I would have been freaking out. Fix it, fix it, Paul. He's like, <laughs> but she didn't do that. Everything is all right. She saddled the donkey, said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. This is an 18 to 20 mile journey through the valley of Jezreel to Mount Carmel. Now here's the deal. I have seen a lot of you and congratulations that you can run 20 miles. You're super fit, okay? That is not me. If I was like, oh my gosh, I hope this donkey is fast. 
Because I do not know how I would feel knowing that my son was dead back in the man of God's room, having to go 20 miles and then 20 miles back, believing that he would be resurrected. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite, run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And she says, everything is all right. Basically to Gehazi, she's like, Talk to the hand. I don't have time to talk to you, Gehazi. I'm trying to get to the man of God. Again, what do many of us do when catastrophe hits, when trauma hits, when we walk through pain, when things that we didn't expect happen, we call everybody else except for running to the throne room of God. We're like, oh, you know, hashtag pray for me. Even though all of these people, maybe they'll pray for you, maybe they won't. They'll probably comment on your life, but I don't know if they're gonna pray for you, but I know that God will move on your behalf. And when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. And Gehazi tried to push her away. This guy is driving me crazy. But we have the Gehazis in our life where we are on our knees. We are interceding. We are believing for a miracle in our marriage, a, a miracle with our children, a miracle in our bodies. We're believing. And people are like, why don't you just stop believing? No, that's when you sing to them. Don't stop. Believe. Right? This is what we do. I don't know that. Just Okay. Sorry. Um, it's like in your head. Who else? That was in your head. Anybody? Okay. See, it wasn't just me. Musicals in your head at all times. Anyone else? Your life is a musical? Okay, cool. Um, Gazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Okay. Faith. She has faith. She's put her son in the man of God's room, she is gripping on to the man of God. That is a picture of faith. Doesn't mean she can't be honest with how she's really doing. This is what she says. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Here's what we have to understand so often in our faith. We're saying, I can only have faith. I can only have faith. No, you can have faith and you can be crying out to God going, this is hard. This is horrible. God, this is not what I thought. While you're gripping on to the heels of God going, I know that you are a good God. And though he slay me, I will praise him. I will trust you. I will lean in. I will be here. I will get on my knees. But God, I'm so mad right now. I told you not to raise my hopes. And here we are. Where do you need to trust God and grab onto his ankles and not let go even though the Gehazis in your world are trying to push you away? Having faith doesn't mean that we do not see the reality of the situation facing us. Having faith means that despite the situation in front of us, we choose to trust God instead. Amen? So here's what I want to say before I go to the last point, is there will be times in our life and in our faith walk where we will have to reckon with the fact that things were once alive are now dead. That is difficult. We have to cry out and be honest before God. And we have to ask God, what do you want to resurrect and what do you want to leave buried? And we have to trust him and lean in. Amen? And the last one is this, number four. Ooh, this is the exciting one. But no one likes the journey, because if you need resurrection, it means something was dead in our lives, right? 
but we have to make room for resurrection. We have to make room for resurrection, new life, new birth. I love the end of this story, and for the sake of time, I'll just tell you what happens. She would not leave him, so it says that he got up and he followed her. He goes back to her house with her. Gehazi had put his staff on the child's face. The child did not raise from the dead. So Elisha goes in, lays on top of the boy, eyes to eyes, nose to nose, mouth to mouth. He gets up, the body became warm, but he did not rise from the dead. Gehazi walks around, he cries out to God, asking for resurrection, gets back on top of the boy, eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth. And it says that the boy sneezed seven times. Elisha calls the mother in and says, take your son and leave. She takes him and they go and live their resurrected life. Now, you're like, that's great, congrats. But seriously, how does this work in my life? Because there are many of us where we need resurrection in our life. We need resurrection in our marriages. We need resurrection with our children. We need resurrection with our parents. We need resurrection in our hopes. We need resurrection in our physical bodies. God wants to do a miracle. And some of us are dead to Christ, but today is the day to become alive in him. So when I became a mother almost 17 years ago, I've got a glamour shot for you of me. Yeah, there it is. Looking so good. Um, busted every capillary in my face, bringing Ezekiel Benjamin Andrew into the world. You too? Okay. Not alone. But here's what I didn't know. He was born. It was glorious. My husband and I were like, we have a son! Because we didn't find out. We were like old school. We were like, let's have a surprise. So we were so excited that we had a son. Now my mom, who is here, she's a doula. So she was my doula. She was there in birth, standing beside me. And what I didn't know was when Zeke came out, he wasn't breathing. They put him on my chest. They ripped him off me. They started to resuscitate him. But I was so out of it. I was like, we have a son. We have a son. And my mom at that moment said, she goes, she knew what was going on in the room. And she goes, not this baby. And she got the faith of the Shunammite in that room. And she started to pray and intercede. What I didn't know was outside of the room. My father-in-law was sitting out there. We were chatting about it yesterday. And apparently, all of these nurses and doctors were running in there saying, we have a blue baby. We have a flat line. I did not know this. He went to the NICU after they got him breathing. He was supposed to be in there 24 hours. Two hours later, he was in my arms with no tubes, no respirator. They said, this kid's hungry, so he would like to eat. I was like, yeah! So that's the glamour shot right there. That was the one. There was resurrection life. Okay, it gets better. I realized the date of my son's birth. July 31st, 2005. Eight years to the day of my born-again birthday. My son was born on my resurrection birthday eight years later. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) But here's the deal with eight. Eight in biblical numbers means new beginnings. A new generation came onto the earth, a new beginning on my resurrection birthday. I was like, God, you are in the details. This is so fun. But that's not it. There was one more story. My mom sits here today. And I honestly had a season of my life where I pushed her so far out of my life. My mother and father, they have this beautiful redemption story and it is their story to tell. And when we were growing up, they did the best job. But there was so much brokenness and so much pain going on. 
And my mom and I had a rift in our relationship. And when I found out the sin and all of the things happening in my self-righteousness, I pushed my mom away. For seven years, I made her pay, moved to Australia, didn't talk to her. Whenever she showed up, I made her feel like the fool. I was so unkind to her. And then I got pregnant with my firstborn. And the Holy Spirit said to me, would you want your children to treat you the way you treat your mother? I was like, wow, that is so intense. And no. Operating from this place of unforgiveness and vengeance towards my mom. And I remember being in this place of repentance where I was on my knees praying for my mom, crying out and going, God, I forgive her. Will you forgive me? He goes, yes, I will forgive you because you were the Pharisee that threw her at my feet and said, stone her, crucify her when you needed to be on your knees next to her repenting. So I forgive you, Andy. A week before my son was born, we sat in his room, folding his clothes, I just remember sobbing, going, Mom, I'm so sorry. I was so cruel to you for so long. Will you please forgive me? She's like, of course, I forgive you. <laughs> She's like, I already have. <laughs> and for almost 17 years now, we have been rebuilding our relationship. And she is such a gift to my life. And I'll say this. And I know I already said it, but in the darkest nights of my soul, that woman has stood in the gap. And when I haven't wanted to live or move forward, she said, oh no, there will be resurrection life. She got on her knees. But I actually stand here today because of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in me. There's so many of you that need the resurrection power of Jesus to be working in your lives right now. So can I pray for you? Oh, Father. There are hearts and lives sitting in here that are broken and undone. Maybe they're far from you. They're not following you. They are dead to sin. They're not yet alive in Christ. They're not alive in your resurrection life. Maybe like me, they have brokenness in their relationship with their mother or father or their sons or daughters. But you can resurrect anything. That's why I was so excited. At the beginning, I know what you can do. You can resurrect life. Maybe there are marriages on the brink, just living parallel lives. I prophesy your best days are ahead of you. You will be a testimony to the power of God resurrecting your marriage. And there are some of you that are desperate for healing. The healer is here. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in us. So move as we make room for you to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Trying to get myself together after that. So uh, thank you, Andy. Uh, what a great, maybe a little more energy next time, but it was pretty solid. It was pretty. Listen, uh, it's, it's your move. It's your move. It's, it, I love that message. I love the idea of us making room for God. And we can't force God's hand. I know if you've been like me and in these desperate places, we're trying to make God do something. But what we can do is we can make room for God to move.
And that's really what we do in response time. If you're new at Seacoast, we have just a few minutes left, but it's, it's important time because it's time for us to make room, to just make room for God to do what he needs to do. And I, I love the, the, the points that she gave us. And we're gonna kind of think about that with response time. Some of us need to make room for God. We just need to make room for God. When she asked that question, what metaphorically, what needs to leave our house? What needs to be, what do we need to get rid of in order for God to move? And, and some of us just know what that is. It could be a habit. It could be an addiction. It could be something that you've done. It could just be fear, anxiety. I, I love Colossians 3, 17 says that the peace of God is supposed to dwell in our heart. And for some of us, man, there's been other stuff that's been dwelling and crowding out God and our ability to hear his voice. And we're gonna go to the crosses. And you know what that is, just write it out on the cross, leave it there. And just, it's your act of saying, God, I'm making room for you. God, I don't know how to, I don't know how to clean it out, I don't even know what to do with it, but I'm giving it to you right now as step one. And we're gonna see God begin to move in our lives. And, and, and so we're gonna make room. Some of us need to make room for hope and for miracles. And you need God to move in your life right now, physically, in your marriage, in your finances. I don't know what it is, but you do. And, and I'm asking you during response time to just make room. That may look like coming up to a prayer team member and saying, hey, I, I need hope. I need a miracle in my life. And for some of you, you can resonate with the Shunammite woman that's like, no, 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 I'm good because there's so much pain underneath that need for a miracle that you almost don't want to acknowledge that you need it anymore. And I'm just asking you to make room, to come receive prayer. Our prayer team members are gonna be here at the front of the stage. There'll be others throughout the worship center. And we would just love to, to meet you in that moment and to ask God to do it again. We've seen him do it so many times. We've seen him restore families, we've seen him restore health, and we're gonna ask him to do it again because there's nowhere in scripture that our role in this equation is to doubt whether he can or wants to. So we're just gonna believe that he can and will. Others of us, maybe we need to make room for faith and honesty. We're in that moment of our story where it doesn't look as, as clean as we would like it to, or we, we feel like we're kind of in that crisis moment. And I'm so thankful that Andy shared that story of her and, and her mom. So I know people often will come to us, even as our family, and say, man, what did your parents do right, that all of you love God and all of, and I'm like, yeah, that's today's picture, but it hasn't always looked like that. There have been moments where we're hanging on to the ankles of God going, you gotta do something. This is just the reality of where I'm at. And if you're here today, and especially I feel like there are some of us that maybe there's a, a child who has wandered far from God, who, who you, you've, you've just been concerned about, and, and, and they're not walking with God. I want you to go to the candles. And I want, want to remind you that God hasn't given up on your child, and you don't need to give up on your child either. Continue to pray. Be honest. This is the situation. But I know, God, you can move. I know that you can move on their behalf. And you may know somebody, a loved one, we're gonna pray for them. And I also felt like God told me during this service to just say this, some of you have lost somebody. They've, they have, they've passed away. It could be a child, spouse. And the resurrection for you, it, it may not be that that person's gonna come back, but God wants to restore your vision for life and the future. That God has a next for you, he has a new for you. Don't give up hope. 
that he can redeem your life and that he can bring purpose out of it. We're gonna make room for resurrection. We're gonna make room for resurrection. That may be resurrection of, of a dream, of, of a vision for your life. For a lot of us, Andy mentioned it, we, we need to experience the resurrection power of Jesus for ourselves. Maybe you've been around church for a while, but you've never really experienced his resurrection power. And I'm gonna invite you to do it today. It's as simple as this. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology. You just need to know that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you, all of your sin, all of your shame, and that he conquered the grave. He rose from the dead so that we could experience his resurrection power in our lives today. And if you're here and you wanna make that decision to do it, here's what I invite you to do. During this first song that we're gonna to sing together, just sing these lyrics out loud. The gospel is in the lyrics. <laughs> just sing them out loud. Receive them. Make them personal for you. But it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I, I wanna give my life to you. And watch him meet you there and begin this journey of, of developing you into a fully mature disciple of Christ. Some of us are gonna give our tithes and offerings, making room even in our finances and faith to say, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. And then we're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate, and we're gonna see God move. So where do you need to make room for God in your life? What's God saying to you today? Let's respond to him together as a church.